Hey everybody, this is your host Matt Castellini and welcome to Chicago Capital. Thank you so much for hopping on Chicago Capital. Happy Friday. It's a true pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Matt. I am thrilled to be here and join you. I think I saw some type of animal in the background over there. Is that a cat or a dog? My dog. She tends to make her way into any any on-screen opportunity. So okay. she's now lying on my feet. So if you hear any sort of movement, it's my dog trying to find crumbs on the ground. <laughs> okay. If she wants to come in and kind of, you know, phone a friend, if you want to have her answer a few questions on the business behalf, we can get Perfect. that going. I'm, I'm okay with that. Perfect. She is our chief comfort officer. So she is always here to provide comfort in any way that is reciprocated with pets. Well, if she wants to come to Chicago Capital's office, which is basically just my apartment and offer up chief comfort stuff, I we yeah. will hire her on a retainer basis. That's if she wants to earn a little extra side money. Perfect. She just nudged me. She said she's in. All right, perfect. Well, I guess we could kick things off. I think we'd all love to hear and learn more about Buddy. Yeah. So Buddy is a digital platform that's reimagining support for people coping with cancer. And so we do that by providing content, community, and curated products for cancer patients and their supporters. So our mission really is to support healing across the entire cancer experience. And that's not limited based on you know time from diagnosis, geography, or the type of cancer you've had. So, you know, Buddy is primarily serving cancer thrivers right now that are in treatment or recovery, but later we'll be providing their supporters with more impactful ways that they can help. Got it. I mean, it sounds like one of those businesses that there's always that adage of founders saying they want to make the world a better place. And sometimes they're just selling enterprise software. I think this is an example of truly making an impact. And very sadly, it would appear there is a large, large market for this in the United States. I would love to hear kind of your journey with the business and where the idea came came from? Yeah. So this really came out of a personal pain point for me. I had cancer as a teenager. I had a Ewing sarcoma and I found the cancer experience to be incredibly isolating. I felt like no one understood what I was going through. One of the things that I think most cancer patients and survivors are unprepared for are the mental and emotional effects that come along with the diagnosis. And so I mentioned that I wanted to build a platform basically that I haven't had over the past 26 years as I've been recovering from that diagnosis. But as I started to talk about the you know feelings that I experienced and you know not feel that shame or stigma in talking about some of these issues, I found the validation from now thousands of people that have experienced the same pain. And I found through you know lots of customer discovery, if you will, is that the cancer support space is just in need of reimagining. Um, I think there's only so much that nonprofit space can do. I think on the healthcare side, Hospitals and oncologists, like they can only do so much. They're focused on curing the disease, you know, not what comes after patients leave the hospital. And so I really think, you know, a social impact business can make a much bigger impact and really collaborate with some of the healthcare organizations and nonprofits to really make a, a bigger difference in the space. And so, you know, in, in high school, how long, you know, what, what was that journey like for you through cancer? When did it finally, you know, go into remission? When did you beat it? How did that sort of play out for you in high school? Actually, I was diagnosed 26 years tomorrow, August 28th of, of 1995. I had received the, the words, you had cancer. Actually, my parents were told I had cancer. My, my siblings were told before I was. I remember them sitting me down and my parents wanted to wait until they really knew what the, the course of action was going to be. Unfortunately, back then, we didn't know anyone else that had cancer. 
you know, it, it was really tough, I think, not only for, for me, but for my, my parents and my siblings, not really having, you know, that support system to lean on and knowing like, you know, what questions to ask and what comes next and really just bewildered when you receive that diagnosis. And so for me, going through treatment in the 90s, you know, seeing seeing sort of the resources available to stay connected to people now, it's completely different than it was back then. I didn't have the internet, cell phones, like blog, there was no social media to kind of express what I was going through and find other people. And so I mentioned, I just felt incredibly isolated, but a lot of the feelings that came up while I was in treatment, hundreds of miles away from home, I was treated at St. Jude in, in Memphis, Tennessee, the most incredible place. And while they really, you know, did everything they could to support me and my family holistically, I was still, you know, I, super far from home. All I had was like a payphone to check in with friends and snail mail. And so anger is, is something that really came up a lot. Anger and just like jealousy that my friends were living their best lives at home without me and, you know, starting to date and all those kinds of things. And I really found those negative, sad, you know, upsetting feelings were exacerbated post-treatment. And I couldn't explain why. And I didn't want to talk about it. Like, I think and I've heard this from so many cancer survivors is the hardest part is after treatment because the dust starts to settle. And when you think about any sort of traumatic, stressful situation, when your body's in fight or flight mode, you're just focused on like, what's the end goal? What do I have to do? Right. And yeah. so when you're, when, when your body has a chance to, you know, allow that recalibration, it's when the overwhelm settles in of like, Oh God, what's next. And is this, always how life's going to be. For me, I finished treatment two weeks before my guardian angel, the man that I believe saved my life, passed away from cancer. And so for me, I wasn't focused on, or I couldn't be, I couldn't allow myself to be happy that treatment was over. I was overwhelmed with survivor's guilt and wondering, why did I make it? Why did he not? You know, those mental health issues really were, were compounded after his death. And so the real disconnect was family and friends were here planning a celebration so, you know, so happy that I was done with treatment. Let's, you know, get the welcome parade started. And I was quietly plotting down my life. And I've, I've buried that shame for, for so many years. And now as I've started to open up about those feelings, I found it's incredibly common. Unfortunately, the, the heartbreaking reality is cancer patients have a four time higher suicide rate than the average population. Like I don't want anyone to experience this kind of pain and this disconnection from the people who love them. And that's really what, what fuels me to keep working on Buddy every day is knowing how many people are experiencing this painful disconnection from their support system. And after all those years, when was it that you sort of returned to those emotions and plotted this solution or plotted this yeah. type of, you know, digital platform? When did I guess the action, you know, come to you that you were, you know, you said to yourself, wait, I can make a difference here. I have the skills to do this. When, when did that sort of change happen? So it had been really like a pipe dream since like 2014 ish. I was going through this like career transition going from corporate working at Disney ESPN to nonprofit. I actually accepted a job at St. Jude and the wheels had, had started turning around that time. I started to see when I went from, you know, sort of like a patient committee member at St. Jude to a corporate employee, I'd start to meet with all these different corporations, their employees and their customers. And I started to see how the support that friends and family oftentimes were providing a patient was just so far off for what they needed. Like, 
one of the number one things that a lot of our corporate partners wanted to do when they wanted to connect the mission directly to their their employees or customers, they'd say like, we want to make get well cards for the patients. We want, we want to like show them we care with these cards. Like that's not what they need though. Like they're struggling in all these different ways. And not that people didn't care. They wanted to feel better. They wanted to know that they did something to make a difference. And in their mind, creating a get well card was the thing they were supposed to do. And I started to realize wow, this was really an issue for me when I was receiving hundreds of get well cards. Cause I mentioned we didn't have social media and the internet and emails. So I was getting flooded with all of these cards that for me contained empty platitudes. And I kept thinking, why isn't there a better solution to help guide friends and family to a better way that they can show that they care in a more impactful way. And so it was just a pipe dream for many years, but I never really thought I knew how to start a business or like I was capable of running a business. And it wasn't until I had a number of secondary scares at the end of 2018, I was waiting on two different biopsies to come back. And in my mind, so the cancer I had, Ewing sarcoma is pretty fatal. When there's a reoccurrence, it generally is, you don't survive it. And around that time, the only living person that I had ever, I wouldn't say connected with, but I had been following that had Ewing sarcoma as a young adult, Fatima Ali, she was uh, famous from from Top Chef she passed away from Ewing sarcoma. And it just got the wheels turning in my head like, oh shit, if if my cancer is back and I don't have time, I'm going to regret never doing anything with that idea. So the results came back beginning of 2019. Both of them came back, not, you know, no evidence of, of cancer. And I thought, I'm doing this like that. So it really was like nights and weekends of starting to work on it. And then within three months, I told my bosses at St. Jude, I was so nervous to tell them that I wanted to leave because the worst thing in my mind was for them to think that I was ungrateful for them saving my life, that I cared any less about their life-saving mission. And I didn't want them to, to start hearing about my mental health struggles and to think that they did anything wrong or that they let me down. And I've now learned this is completely common. Like people don't like to talk about any of the dark parts of cancer because they don't want to let people down. We always have to like balance the emotions of people around us. And what surprised me is that they were completely supportive. They, they were like, like my boss literally said, KB, you were born to do this. Like you have to make this happen. And so I left April of 2019 and just went all in on building buddy. And I guess the rest is history. I mean, the rest is history. I just think there's, I mean, first off for someone who just kicked cancer's ass, I feel like if I was an early stage financier, you'd be the person I'd bet on in this market. I mean, That is such an incredible story. And I think it just puts so many things into perspective, you know, in terms of the things that I think founders are typically worried about at the early stage. I think you've clearly faced 10x worse and, you know, 10x more adversity. I'm curious about the platform as it stands today. And I guess the end-to-end, you know, user journey, if I'm signing up today, you know, when are you targeting people who have been um, diagnosed with cancer and, and when should they look to really your platform in their sort of life cycle of dealing with it? Yeah. I think one of the beautiful things about Buddy is because we are exclusively like built by patients, by survivors, by people who understand the mindset of a cancer patient, you can literally join Buddy at any time and it's free. So for some people, they want to dig right into where are the resources? Like I need to find support. I need to talk to people. For other people, it's not until, like I mentioned, the dust settles. Maybe they're, they're post-treatment. And so we're finding people sign up literally day of diagnosis. 
We're finding people that have signed up 10 years later that are like, oh my gosh, I heard you talking about this. I feel this way too. I thought I was the only one. And so anyone that's been directly impacted by cancer, whether you're a cancer thriver yourself, you know, could be patient or survivor. We call them thrivers. It's a little bit more empowering. Or if you're a supporter. So when you sign up, you can also be a friend or family member and you can learn how to support them through words and actions. So we have sort of different content and conversation geared towards, you know, whatever sort of user type you are. And so that post-treatment feelings that you described, is is there, I mean, have they done studies? Is it really a chemical reaction that arises from all those years of fight or flight of your adrenal gland just pumping and your body sort of, you know, doing everything it can to be resilient? Or is it is it a sense of lost time? Is it, you know, oh, I wish I, this is so annoying. I missed my high school years in all these treatments. Is it is it a combination of all those things? I think this is probably something that definitely to most listeners of the show is probably unfamiliar. Maybe people who've dealt with cancer personally, your family members will have a better understanding, but I'd love to just learn a bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many feelings come up when you've been diagnosed. And I talk to members of our community, you know, every day and we do, we do interviews every Thursday or Thriver Thursdays. And oftentimes the feelings they describe to me, they haven't expressed to other people, not even their significant others, their caregivers, in some cases, you know, their oncologists. And so it's everything from, you know, grief, grieving the life you once had, you know, overwhelm. Um, so many people express like they're so overwhelmed when they're diagnosed, they're overwhelmed by all these new terms, terminology, what comes next? How am I going to pay for treatment? How am I going to take care of my kids? Like there's so there's so much overwhelm. But I think what's not helpful is when friends and family start showing up at your door and sending flowers and gift baskets and all these things. You're like, I don't even know how to respond to the generosity. I don't know. You're trying to manage other people's feelings. But I think oftentimes the feelings that come up post-treatment, like nine times out of 10, people say that's the hardest part. And so one of the things that, that Buddy struggles with is how do we sort of prepare people for what's to come without overwhelming them? Because when you're in treatment, you don't want to think, oh God, it's going to get worse. But at the same time, because we have this empathetic platform that understands the mindset of a cancer patient, I think it's more important to prepare people and to provide them with coping tools and mechanisms and knowing, look, the support is out there. How can we, instead of you know allowing you to feel disconnected from your support system, how can we guide your friends and family in a way that doesn't add additional overwhelm, right? So that they can drop some funds in your wellness wallet, or they're given prompts to know how to better support you instead of saying triggering words that cause, you know, more isolation, more loneliness. So, I mean, unfortunately, every one of us is going to be impacted by cancer in our lifetime, whether it's you personally or someone that you love and care about. And so I believe like if Buddy can help support people in a better way, in a way that, you know, is more empathetic, is more compassionate and ultimately impactful, we're all going to be better off in the long run rather than sort of like living in tunnel vision, just hoping cancer doesn't happen to you. We yeah. unfortunately can't control that outcome. Research can only move so fast. Yeah, I think that's so true. And it goes back to the point of it really feels like everybody in the U.S., everybody will at some point be dealing with this in, in their lifetime, sadly. But it's it seems like tools like this are, I think there's a lot of negative things about social media. I think there's a lot of negative things about the internet. Maybe I'm an old soul for thinking that, but the older I get, the more negative aspects I feel there are. But 
I do think that there are glimmers of positivity to be found in there because you go back to the 1990s and I'm sure and you can attest. And as you've said, it just it was, you know, receiving cards in the mail, but there was, you know, a disconnect. There was more of an isolation and at least the Internet and, and at least sort of digital platforms allow people, you know, a one to many approach. You can feel like a digital community that is out there for you that really resonates Totally. Yeah. And I think, so when I, I mentioned, I talked talk to so many members of our community and a lot of them say the first thing they did after they got home from the hospital was to start searching their diagnosis hashtag on Instagram. And, and I mean, Instagram is where we've had way more community members find us. And so it's so interesting that they say, you know, I wanted to start looking for hope and inspiration and other people that had been through it. And so when they looked to Instagram, you know, you start to see again, like people sometimes use Instagram just as this like facade and this like yeah. really curated thing. But I think so many cancer thrivers want to see the realness, but they're not seeing it necessarily on social media. Or they'll mention, I was following this person's updates, but I created like a Finsta, like a fake account because I didn't want to out myself for having cancer. A lot of yeah. people will say, you know, I don't want friends and family to see what it's really like. And so they try and go incognito either, you know, on in following Instagram accounts or in Facebook groups, they don't participate in conversations because your Facebook and Instagram, your name and your picture is associated with it. And so, you know, with Buddy, people can interact as a private screen name if they want. They select the avatar, they select the screen name. Some people like to go as the real name, some go as their Instagram handle, but we want to give people that safe space that anonymity if they need it to be because one of the one of the biggest blockers from people getting support is expressing how they're hurting and for people to know how to support them it's it almost seems like it's it's a platform for them to deal with the the tribulations of cancer on their own terms yeah. and to sort of set the terms as to how they're going to you know approach this you know approach this this battle Exactly, exactly. So it's, it's allowing people to just like come as they are like drop a toxic positivity from family and friends at the door, just come bring your real self. And like, there's no judgment here. Like, we're, we're here to help you work through it. And like, if you're feeling down one day, if you're feeling joyful one day, we're here to support you. I think, you know, we can all be a support to someone else, whether you feel like today I'm ready to lift someone else up, or I just want to like pay attention to what's happening. And you know, we're, we're it's always going to be a roller coaster, but I think sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, but you can be a support to someone else. Zooming out a bit, are there other platforms out there or other tools that you look to integrate with? I mean, do you guys have licensed therapists on the app? How do you think about that sort of in real time, you know, almost there's an emergency and I really need to talk to somebody licensed in, you know, therapy to, to get through this. How does that work? Yeah. So right now, like we have, we're very collaborative. So we work with tons of different like nonprofit organizations in the cancer space. One of them, Cancer Support Community. We have it on our site. You know, if you're in need of urgent support right now, they have free resources. We've got the contact information on there. I think as Buddy expands, we're trying to look to see like what additional support can people utilize and do we do that in sort of a freemium model where maybe now they can connect one-to-one -one with licensed therapists or maybe, hey, we've got like small group sessions that we're going to do with a sex expert or, hey, we're going to, so like right now we're just doing it through virtual events and they're all free events, but we're seeing more people want additional support. They want to be able to ask the personal questions or connect to them one-on-one, -on -one. but I think if Buddy can make it easier to get from like, you know, 
logging into Buddy to finding that support and not having to look for it, that's part of our, our long-term roadmap. So right now we're, we're doing it sort of in a virtual event setting, but I mentioned we're collaborating with all these nonprofit organizations. So, you know, we might be talking about survivor's guilt, for example, in a conversation forum and mention, hey, we've got this event coming up with Twist Out Cancer. By the way, do you know they have these art therapy sessions every month? You can create these, you know, beautiful projects together to express what you're going through and what you're feeling. So we're not trying to be the only solution. It's sort of like crowdsourcing resources, but it's all centered on healing and not necessarily treatment. It's all the mental and emotional stuff on top of it. Was there a point during COVID? I mean, I would imagine, and you know, having no real idea, but I, I would imagine that maybe there was a time during the pandemic when things were shut down and people couldn't go to those support groups. They couldn't see their friends, especially if you're going through this already, yeah. tacking on a pandemic. I mean, what was that like from your perspective, you know, through the lens of, you know, Buddy CEO, I guess, what were you sort of seeing from your, you know, clientele base? How, how did the pandemic affect this, your customers? Yeah, I mean, we've already talked about the mental health effects, you know, that compounds the experience of going through cancer. But I think everyone is starting to see the hopefully not experiencing the mental health effects of the pandemic too much. But you know, for people going through cancer, also while isolated, so many of them can't bring people to appointments with them, or they've had to put off certain appointments. A lot of them have had to delay treatments and tests because of it. Because for those in active treatment, when you are immunocompromised and or have no immune system, like I know when I went through treatment, there were so many days where I, w I couldn't even leave our apartment in Memphis because I, I had nothing to fight off even the common cold. And so more than anything, cancer patients, survivors are feeling super isolated right now. If you're not able to physically have someone at appointments with you while you're hearing this life-shattering uh, news about your health, or you know, you're sitting in infusion centers for eight hours a day, five days a week, it is so lonely. And it's funny you ask just about pandemic in general as a business, because our original plan to go to market, we launched a beta website February 24th, 2020. And we were originally launching a marketplace first in the social tool. And I realized very quickly, one, I don't feel comfortable shipping anything to immunocompromised people right now. Remember at the time, yeah. we didn't know like how is right. spreading? Like if I ship this box in the mail, I'm yep. gonna give them coronavirus. I was taking those Purell wipes or Clorox wipes on my food delivery. I was wiping everything Holy. down. Same. Exactly. Like we, we really weren't sure. And so I felt really uncomfortable with the idea of like the idea with the beta site was friends and family come to buddy. They were our primary you know, target, if you will, in the beginning, if your friends or family members diagnosed with cancer, invite them to buddy by sending them this box. It has a handwritten note and invitation inside. And so we saw over 90% of the people that we shipped these boxes to were, were accepting, we're, we're getting on the wait list to join buddy. <laughs> but Again, we had to haul delivery for like six weeks. And I realized very quickly, just in one, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations with tons of people in the community, is they were scared shitless. They were, you know, super anxious about everything coronavirus related. But ultimately, no one can get masks in the beginning. Remember? And so like even leaving their homes, even getting groceries delivered was a huge health risk. And so very quickly, I decided we've got to get masks in the hands of as many people as possible. It's not about us in announcing that we're live. We have to protect our buds. And so I, I you know, crowd crowdfunded uh, six sixty five hundred bucks, and I bought as many masks as we possibly could, and we got those in the hands of you know community members. We didn't have a community at the time. 
And so I was, again, just like building that on social media. And those have been our OGs, like by getting masks in their hands and staying connected and having conversations with them through the DMs, inviting them to virtual events. That's how I was able to learn what do they need right now? And they need connection to other people more than anything. So that ultimately, like, of course, I don't wish the pandemic happened, but I think building the community is the moat, you know, the content library, like it just gave us more time to have our finger on the pulse of what they need. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it does seem like it drove, I mean, you're building a community. So there, there's network effects here at play. It's going to get stronger the more people are getting engaged. And, and you know, like so many, basically every founder that's come on the show has had some pandemic boost in some way. Yeah. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be, you know, on the show talking about their business. So yeah. for you guys, it makes total sense, kind of the network effect driven, you, you know, result the pandemic had, I guess, looking out into the future, what are kind of the financing needs behind your business? And, and you know, what's that sort of look like for you in the next six to 12 months? Yeah. So right now, I mean, I've pretty much done everything bootstrapped and with small friends and family round. And so I think of the progress we've been able to make over the past like two and a half, three years now of building the product. But that was primarily with an outsourced development team. So as I look to now go back to fundraising, I want to expand our engineering team. I just got on mm-hmm. the call with someone I, I um, am looking to potentially lead our product. I want to expand our community team. So right now we're actually growing much, much faster than I could have anticipated after our launch. And community director is spending over half her day responding to comments within the community. And of course, as the community grows, you'll start to see more and more community members interacting with one another and providing support. But it's important that we expand our community team as well. Yeah. And so I'm looking to really expand engineering community teams and also free up some more of my time so that I'm not as involved in product and community decisions so that I can focus on more collaborative partnerships in the nonprofit and health <laughs> side. That's the plan is to, to actually raise a proper institutional round so we can expand the team. And I think one of the one of the concerns right now is because we're growing so fast and all word of mouth, you know, outside of our social media is how do we keep up with the demand when we release our social tool? And now each member on the platform has a dozen family and friends checking in with their updates, dropping money in their wellness wallet. We have to make sure that we have the infrastructure to support 10xing or more our member base. So, you know, we're, we're still early stage, but I have super audacious plans for the future. But I know every successful founder I've talked to is like one day at a time, like you're not going to get there overnight and there's going to be more bumps in the road. But I'm focused on like, how do we solve immediate problems for our community each and every day and let their pain fuel our purpose and our impact? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to hear a bit about, you know, your Chicago connection and and what it's been like to be around the Chicago ecosystem and how you found it to be as a founder. Yeah. So I don't think I would have ever had the balls to, to create this company, if not for the support of the Chicago tech community. I mentioned, I'd never thought I could start a company, but it really started with me just opening up to some people about like, I had this pipe dream and I would love to create it. And starting with the WeWork community in Chicago, again, this I mentioned it to my community manager like three years ago, and they encouraged me to, to apply for, WeWork used to have this program called Impact Awards, and they would fund like $40,000 grants to different regions. And my goal, literally, like in my, my first journal, my, my first journal here was to win, I didn't just want to win the Midwest Impact Award, 
I wanted to win the national impact award, which was a million bucks. Cause in my mind it was like million dollars that can like fuel like a few years of growth. So that was the original idea. I was like, okay, I know I need to win this, but I need a business plan. I didn't know how to create a business plan. I didn't know how to start a business. So I started attending like every event in Chicago, all the tech events, all the general assembly workshops and panels. Then, you know, from one of the general assembly events, learned about this program with entrepreneur. They were just getting it going called insider program. I took like 40 workshops. And so I just got to meet lots of different smart people building businesses. So many of them were in the Chicago tech community. Of course, we've had to stay connected remotely over the past, like, 17 months, but so many folks that I've met, you know, through these General Assembly 1871 events, it's fellow founders and operators that have really kept me going. As a solopreneur, a solo founder, it's really, it can be really lonely and really tough when you are struggling with problems that you don't feel equipped to solve. And so, you know, not only have founder operators been really helpful, but friendly investors. There's so many investors, you know, that have invested in Buddy and haven't that I feel like I can ping and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can I get 20 minutes to just ask you about this? So I have found just the Chicago tech community, startup community has been so generous, so giving with their time. We wouldn't still be standing without them. It's great to hear. I think it echoes, you know, the collaborative environment that I think has usually been championed on the show. But, you know, I think listeners always kind of love hearing those stories about how Chicago actually is one of the drivers of the business still being in business today. Yeah. And also, I will say like the the humility and like, just you don't you don't get that in every city. Like, there's no need to like put on airs. Like, I like that, like so many people in the Chicago tech community are willing to just get in the trenches with you and help you solve problems. And like, you don't need to like pretend like everything's perfect. Like we're, we're all struggling yeah. in different ways with our businesses. And a lot of, you know, folks you've had on your show have been some of those, those people that have helped me navigate and also like help me dream bigger, have helped me see like, buddy can be so much more expansive than I think I was ever even giving it credit for. So can't say, can't say enough good things about the Chicago tech community. Kathleen, this has been amazing. I, I can honestly say this has been one of the most incredible episodes we've had. I think a question that, you know, has sort of been on my mind as as we've been talking, you know, we, we have a ton of founders on the show in business school. I'm around founders all the time, meeting with founders as part of my job. And it is, you know, it's just one of the hardest things you can do with your professional career. It's it's yeah. such a roller coaster of emotions. There's so many highs, there's so many lows, and the lows are very low and the highs are yeah. very high. Yeah. Do, do you feel like your experiences in such formative years of your life, you know, in your teenage years when you were really kind of coming into your own and growing up, do you feel like your experiences in life gave you a new perspective, gave you a concrete perspective on life that you've maintained with you all through these years that allow you to just view this process maybe just a little bit differently? Or how has it affected your sort of, you know, your philosophy um, as you've you know gone through different journeys in life? Wow, that is such a great question, Matt. And yes, absolutely. I faced death at such an early age. I literally was given my last rites, Thanksgiving of 95. I, some people think it's like grim to talk about death. We're all going to die. I know I'm going to die. I know literally <laughs> I, I meet people in our community all day, every day. And we've, we've lost a number of community members. Like I'm faced with knowing no day is guaranteed. And so every day I'm driven to solve problems for our community and to try and reduce their pain, but also knowing like I am so hell bent on, on making Buddy as successful as possible because I always have to think about what's the impact that I'm going to leave 
you know, when, when I leave this world and that fuels me every day and knowing if, if I don't know if I'm going to have 10 years, 50 years, how can, how can, you know, buddy really leave a mark on this world. And I, I think it's the resilience, tenacity, but also like we already hear founders are crazy. I think I'm batshit crazy because I'm so committed to this problem. It's so personal and I love our community so much. And I've heard too many stories over the years that I see a solution that so many people don't see. And yeah, I'm driven to solve it every day, knowing I got a YOLO for our butts. I mean, throwing in a YOLO reference at the end of the episode, this might be the best episode we've ever done. This just hit everything. (laughs) Kathleen, thank you so much for coming on. Honestly, I can say it was a true pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much. If people want to find Buddy and and learn more and, you know, get get involved or, you know, unfortunately want to use the service based on, you know, a new diagnosis or, you know, a family or friend member's diagnosis, where can they go? Yeah, so they can go to highbuddy.com. So it's H-I-B-U-D-D-H-I.com. And then the Insta handle is at highbuddy, H-I-B-U-D-D-H-I. So if you want to just come and check it out, get to know some of the community members or just see some of the content and interviews we have on our Insta, come as you are. Like there's no judgment. Even if you just want to join and like, you know, take a look around, we're here to support you with open arms. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining Chicago Capital. We can't wait to have you on again in the future as you continue to raise rounds of financing and continue to just kick ass in general. (laughs) Thanks so much, Matt. It was such an honor to be here with you. Take care. Thank you.